0: Keeping my eye on the scope, I could see that he also spread 30 inches, but had much more mass and plenty of extra points. His main beams were long and nearly as high as his tall back forks. I was sure he was the buck I'd been after. I felt a tightening in my gut as I fought back the buck fever. If only he'd step out from behind the other buck. RockCast is powered by OnX Hunt, and for good reason. Onex Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a RockCast promo code. Why You Have to Focus A big mule deer hunter has to be one of the most focused big game hunters on the continent to be successful. I've already discussed how rare big mule deer bucks are. In my opinion, they are rarer than the rest of all of our big game species. If I want to kill a 350-inch bull elk, I could be hunting several areas with bulls like that as soon as next year on OTC or easy-to-draw tags. While I may not kill one, I know I'd see at least one. However, a 200-inch mule deer, to me, about the equivalent on the size scale as a 350-inch bull elk, would be much harder. I spend 60 days a year looking for big bucks and only see about one 200-inch or better buck every two or three years in units where I can get a tag. I don't waste much time scouting the premium units where so many of the big bucks we see in media are filmed, as I know I'll likely never get to hunt them. Because big mule deer are so rare, if you want to kill one, you have to focus almost exclusively on them. Twenty years ago I'd hunt bucks, bulls, and birds, and I'd fish for steelhead, which I loved to do. At the end of each season, it seemed like I was doing fine on everything but big mule deer. I was always a day late and a dollar short. I enjoyed archery elk hunting and killed bulls almost every year, even in my early 20s. I love steelhead fishing, and while I'm no expert, if the fish were in the river, I did fairly well. Few hunts have the action of wing shooting pheasants, quail, and gray partridge, and I spent many days in their pursuit. Spring turkey hunting is the next best thing to calling in big bull elk, and I chased turkeys from northern to southern Idaho back in the day, yet every year would close without me killing a big mule deer. Once I married my precious wife Jody in 2001, I had to get focused if I wanted to kill a big buck. Jody is about the least demanding and lowest maintenance woman I've ever met, but I loved her and I knew she was going to need more of my time if we wanted a great marriage. The time was going to have to come from somewhere. I tried to do it all the first few years. She was a doll and supported me as much as she could, even trailing along on adventures with me. I remember her falling down in a salmon river riffle while we fished for steelhead together. When I heard the splash, I looked over and could see her belly sticking out of the water. She was five months pregnant. She also packed in with me on my summer deer scouting trips. Jody is a backpacker, but not a hunter. We truly enjoyed those trips together and are starting to do more now that our three kids are getting older. However, it was becoming clear that if I wanted to kill a big buck, something had to give. I first gave up elk hunting. That gave me back a week plus. As much as I love fishing for big trout and steelhead, I also relinquished that pursuit, save the trips we scheduled together with the kids. That gave me back many weekends and of course gave me precious family times that beat any seven pound trout or 17 pound steelhead. I quit hunting birds too. The first year was tough, but come fall I was able to hunt 30 days for mule deer, not all at once of course, without wearing too much on Jody. I also noticed my energy level was better. It's easy to dream all winter about hunting giant bucks for 10 days straight, but in reality, you have only so much mental energy to put to the task. Notice I didn't say physical energy. All those other pursuits had been competing for that energy, and once I started focusing it on mule deer, I just did better. Finally, big deer hunting is expensive. The horses, the gear, the tags, the trucks, and all the travel all drain the bank account. Once I had a family, I couldn't be dipping into our livelihood just to hunt big deer. In my 20s, I could live in a small apartment with only enough clothes to fit in a box. While Jody is pretty good with me, asking her to eat beans and rice six nights a week so I can afford to apply for Western tags was probably out of the question. By focusing exclusively on mule deer, I was able to carve out enough days, energy and finances to maximize my success. Many of the successful trophy mule deer hunters I know also follow the same thinking. Brian LaTurner owns the website monstermuleys.com. You should check it out if you haven't. It's one of the best online resources for mule deer and is one of the most success- and he is one of the most successful DIY big hunters, big deer hunters that I know. He too focuses exclusively on hunting mule deer and has the skills and bucks to show for it. If you really want to kill a big mule deer, you're going to have to focus virtually all your free time and energy on the pursuit. If you don't, you may never succeed. You might dabble in the pursuit and eventually take a big mule deer, but it could take 20 years or more. That's not a wise move, as few, if any, can stay motivated for 20 years. Those guys get discouraged after a couple seasons, give up and go elk hunting. Don't be those guys, focus. Hunting solo. As you read this book, you'll probably notice that I've killed most of my big deer while hunting alone. That would be true, but I didn't really plan it that way. Hunting for big mule deer tends to be a loner's pursuit by nature. The reasons are varied. It's hard to find someone equally as committed. Before I say what I'm going to say, I want to be clear that if I had to choose between the welfare of my family and my walk with God or deer hunting, God and family would win every time. There's not a stinky old mule deer on the planet worth harming my most important relationships. However, I'm very dedicated to the pursuit. I find that most hunters are interested in killing big mule deer. However, when they find out just how much sacrifice it really takes, the crowds thin dramatically. My life is my family's, but because I'm married to a wonderful wife who believes the same when it's time to go deer hunting or scouting, she's behind me. Occasionally, I've missed my son's football game, or my two daughters' dance recitals, or I've had to tell my boss that I can't make a meeting he planned, endangering promotion and even my job. I've chosen to take unpaid vacation time that could have been spent with family but then works to extra jobs in the off season to make it up. I've already written that I gave up other hunting and fishing pursuits so I could fully commit to the pursuit of killing big mule deer. On occasion, I've come home from a nine day hunt, repacked my gear and then headed back out again while watching my supportive family wave goodbye again in the rearview mirror. I've hunted until I'm so tired and grouchy that it takes a week to snap out of it. I've hunted way beyond the point of enjoyment many times because simply that is what it took to be successful. When you're this committed, it's very difficult to go along with someone who's just there for the experience. In fact, they usually just uninvite themselves in one way or another and you're left alone on the mountain. This has happened to me many times over the decades and is the primary reason I end up hunting alone. Attitude. Even if someone is equally as committed, if they don't have a good attitude throughout the hunt, you'll be hamstrung. Like everything in life, your attitude pretty much ensures your success or failure. I've hunted with others who became down in the mouth about buck hunting, and it wears on me. They might complain about fishing, games management strategies, how they wish they could have hunted 30 years ago when the hunting was better, how the guys on the other ridge are screwing everything up, blah blah blah. While I've been guilty of slipping into bad attitudes, I've learned that I must snap out of it or my hunt is doomed. Sometimes I have to take a day off during the hunt to recover mentally and physically. Oddly, I find that someone with a bad attitude thinks that's a wasted day, further increasing the friction in camp. Also if I continue to hold out for a big deer, yet the other guy thinks he has to kill something to be successful, we end up in further disagreement. To plan a hunt with someone who has a bad attitude is just hunt suicide. You'll end up either trying to ignore the person or trying to cheer them up, both of which will wear you down. Selfishness. Because big buck hunting is so tough and big bucks are so rare, if you're not equally yoked with your hunting partner, you'll likely feel a twinge of selfishness or downright jealousy if he puts the smack on a big buck and you don't. This is the ugly side of human nature, but I'd be a liar if I didn't mention it. Sometimes I hunt alone because I know I'm just not man enough to let someone who hasn't done the work have a chance at something I've worked so hard for. I'm not saying it's right, I'm just saying it's true. Two are better than one. Now after saying all this, I want to confirm that if you find a good partner, you're better off hunting with another person. King Solomon, in all his God-given wisdom, said this in the Bible, "'Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall down, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up.'" Ecclesiastes 4, 9, 10. That's as true today as when he wrote it 900 years before Christ. First, in the literal sense, you could get hurt while hunting alone. Hunting with a good hunting partner increases your safety in mule deer country and especially the back country. I'm no fool in thinking nothing can happen to me when I'm hunting alone. It could. When I'm hunting with a friend, I'm just playing safer. More likely though, you're going to fall down mentally. Big buck hunting is tough and can be very boring. Sometimes you'll question your own sanity in the pursuit. Having an equally yoked partner along will greatly increase your mental strength. I've hunted 13 days straight with a partner and was ready for more. Yet another time I hunted 14 days straight alone and was a basket case by the time I got back to the truck. You can't hunt effectively unless you're mentally in the game and a good hunting partner really helps. Also, if you're both in the game together, you can arrive at a place where you're just as happy if your partner gets the big one. You won't feel cheated in the slightest way, as you'll both understand that the big buck likely would never have been taken had you not worked together. Besides my father, Doug, I've hunted with four men who really added to the experience. I love and care about each one of these people and look forward to the day when we can hunt again. I hunted with Kevin Kenny of Idaho Falls for years. He's an intelligent hunter with the patience of a mule and he's a great shot. We took many a good buck together and I cherish those memories. I've hunted with Trevor Carlson of Great Falls, Montana on several Montana hunts. His youth, mental toughness, and enthusiasm to learn about big deer were a great encouragement to me. Ryan Pimentel and I have been friends for years. He's one of the best bow hunters I know. In 2010, we hunted together for a few weeks in the backcountry for a 200-inch buck we named ADD, short for Attention Deficit Disorder. Because of Ryan's always good attitude, physical toughness, this guy hunted with a fever well over 100 degrees on one of the nastiest mountains I've been on, and just plain willingness to learn, that hunt was one of the best hunts of my life. Although ADD moved at all hours of the day, hence the name, and we had him in both rifle and archery range several times, we still never killed him. However, the memories will last a lifetime. Kurt Darner of Colorado had been a mentor to me since I was in my 20s. I know he's had his troubles, but Kurt's been nothing but good to me and my family. In 2000, I guided some hunters for Kurt's American Outfitters operation. We killed a great Colorado buck on that hunt. In 2004, Kurt and I made another Colorado hunt together. It was one of the most memorable hunts of my life. It was during the heated election between George W. Bush and John Kerry. Kurt is quite the card and posted an election sign outside of our wall tent. As people drive by, I noticed that they either smiled and waved with their whole hand or, if they were a carry fan, just frowned and waved with part of their hand. The third morning of the hunt, Kurt set an ambush in a nasty draw choked with oak brush and junipers while I hunted a basin a mile to the south. When I heard a shot at 8.30 a.m. from the draw, I figured I better get my knife. Then I heard seven more shots and knew something was wrong. When I met Kurt on the road, he frowned and said he had wounded a good buck. That's not like Kurt, so I carved a bullseye and an aspen at 100 yards and we checked the rifle. His first bullet hit four inches low and five inches right, so we re the gun. Kurt then put two more in the tree less than an inch apart. He better stay out of the way now, he chuckled as we hiked back towards the draw. Kurt's plan was to follow the track while I kept a lookout from a few steps behind him. We'd have to concentrate on the ground and might not see the buck in time to get a shot. It hadn't rained or snowed in a week and I was at least skeptical. An hour later, Kurt finally pointed to a smear in the dirt and said that was the buck's track. There was no blood and deer tracks were everywhere. I figured he must know what he was doing, so I followed a few yards behind, eyes peeled and rifle ready. I kept He kept telling me the buck was walking funny and thought he'd wounded a leg. I couldn't even tell if they were the same tracks, let alone how the buck was walking. Over the next hour, the buck zigzagged from cover to cover leading us a mile over a mesa and off a rim toward a busy road with houses nearby. We cringed at the thought of the crippled buck running through people's yards, and we doggedly kept on him. Several times I just shook my head in disbelief at how Kurt could pick the track out of hundreds of others we encountered. Three hours into the tracking job, Kurt made a big loop, backtracking into some stunted Gamble oak brush. He said the buck was in there and I should get ready. I found a fence post and steadied my rifle on it. A few minutes later, I saw the buck stand up among the oaks. Kurt had no shot, so I took him out. We checked the buck and found that Kurt was right. He had broken the buck's back leg, but that was the only injury. Had we not tracked the buck, he would have become coyote fodder in back of someone's house. I knew then and there that no matter the problem Kurt has had or what people say, he is still one of the best to ever hunt big mule deer. As we shared rum and cokes back at camp, I knew I'd witness something few hunters ever will. I also knew it might be the last hunt Kurt and I would share. So far, unfortunately, that has been the case. I love and care about Kurt, and I know I wouldn't be the buck hunter I am today without his friendship. God knows I'll miss him when he's gone. I'll close this section with this thought. A good partner is hard to find. If you find one, plan some hunts together. They may be your most memorable. However, if you really want to be successful at killing big mule deer, you must be prepared to hunt alone. For one reason or another, that will often be the card you're dealt. If you can't hunt alone, you'll miss half your hunts. The one thing. So I've laid out the mental game of hunting big mule deer. Why you must change, why your thinking must change, and why you have to focus. However, there is one more skill you must develop if you're going to take a big mule deer. This starts with your thinking. I know a deer hunter from Idaho who has been very successful on mule deer bucks. He is the hunter everyone envies, as he's always got antlers sticking out of the back of his truck. Rarely does he come home with an unpunched deer tag, or elk, antelope, whatever. He's been killing nice bucks since he was a teenager over 30 years ago. I'd guess he has more than 35 bucks scoring between 150 and 170. I learned something from most every deer hunter I meet and he's no different. He's a very patient hunter and can spend all day afield in a very small area without getting bored. Most hunters can't do that, including me on some days. About 30 minutes after sunrise they give up and start hiking to the next ridge, meanwhile spreading their scent and noise across the countryside. And they rarely if ever see a really big buck. He's also an excellent shot and will hunt with any weapon. I think he's a better hunter than I am if you consider patience, personality, he's very calm, I'm very hyper, and ability to hunt all day. One day he stopped by my house to chat about big mule deer. He looked at all my biggest bucks and was perplexed at how lucky I've been. He didn't say this in a rude way, but wondered how we both could be hunting some of the same country, yet he'd taken bucks only up to about 170, where many of mine were between 170 and 230. There is only one thing I do differently than he does. Either by foolishness or just plain stubbornness, I developed the ability to pass up the nice bucks, and on some hunts, even the really good bucks. By doing so, I've still been on the mountain long after everyone is at the skinning pole. By developing this skill, I've had shots at my biggest bucks. This skill is determined by how you think. I think that if I plan, scout, hunt hard and smart, and don't just define success by the kill, that I can find a bigger buck. I've had this point driven home many times over the decades. We're long due for a buck story, and the following should illustrate what I'm talking about. Wyoming non-typical. When the fog thinned enough that I could see again, there were two bucks standing amongst the thick spruce. The 30-inch typical was still facing me at 80 yards, but behind him was a second deer. Keeping my eye on the scope, I could see that he also spread 30 inches but had much more mass and plenty of extra points. His main beams were long and nearly as high as his tall back forks. I was sure he was the buck I'd been after. I felt a tightening in my gut as I fought back the buck fever. If only he'd step out from behind the other buck. This wasn't the first time I had seen the typical buck since I started hunting the non-typical in early September. I'd spent nearly 16 days over the last month waiting for a chance at the giant. I'd had several, but he'd always given me the slip. I'd even seen the typical buck at least 5 other days, and each time I reluctantly passed him up for the remote chance at the bigger deer if I could find him. The typical was a beautiful buck, with long sweeping main beams and back forks that laid out well, giving him his wide spread. He'd gross near 190, and on most hunts I'd be very happy with him. However, the non-typical was much bigger deer and would easily break 220. Like all really big deer, he was smart as a fox and I rarely could find him on the huge mountain he lived on. If the wind didn't change, I might finally have my chance at him. After a minute or two of staring through my scope, the bigger deer turned his head to the left, revealing even more extra points, but my shot was still blocked by the typical. I held steady, safety off, finger on the trigger. They were getting nervous. They knew my dark form shadowed in the timber might be danger. The non-typical took a nervous step to his left, barely exposing his chest from behind the other buck. I don't remember pressuring the trigger, only the awesome sight of the two big deer in my scope as the rifle recoiled. The biggest buck staggered and then spun around, disappearing into the spruce. The typical craned his neck out toward me in surprise, because he just had a bullet whiz just a few inches past his left shoulder. He quickly whirled and followed the other buck into the spruce and down the steep slope. The spear bullet had done its job. I found the non-typical buck on his back with his antlers buried deep in the snow a 100 yards down the mountain. I thanked the Lord for this life he'd just given me and sat down beside the animal. His crimson blood stained the snow. As I rolled him over, I felt my heart racing. His light-colored antlers were heavy, his main points even. His Boone and Crockett typical frame carried nearly 20 inches of extras, and I was sure the 9x7 antlers would gross at least 220. As I beheld his spectacular antlers, my mind wandered back over the days I'd hunted him. While scouting, glassing, and tracking were all important skills in taking him, none of them superseded my ability to pass up the other buck. I'm often asked if there's a secret to killing a big mule deer. While a hunter must be skilled at glassing, tracking, still hunting, ambush hunting, and identifying likely buck country, none of these abilities will guarantee anyone a truly big deer. There's only one surefire way a guy can count on for a chance at a big buck, the ability to pass up the smaller bucks. If a hunter can learn to pass up bucks that don't make the grade, I can virtually guarantee he'll eventually have a shot at a big buck. Almost sounds too simple, doesn't it? Yet I've seen more good tags go to waste, including my own, because hunters can't pass on those other smaller deer. The Rockcast is powered by OnX Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Join the millions of hunters who trust OnX to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Some of the key features of Onex are the ability to combine critical land data with on-the-ground exploration to build your perfect map and find success. All your saved markups sync automatically to all devices for use in the field or from home. Onex includes nationwide public and private land boundaries. Hunt with confidence and find new opportunities using color-coded public land maps, private parcel ownership information, and clearly marked boundaries. Mark locations crucial to your hunt with custom waypoints. Measure distances of your walk-in, shot across canyon, or distance to the nearest access point with lines. View maps in 3D and choose satellite, topo, or hybrid base maps to have the best, easy to read visual for your hunt. Go as far from the grid as you want. No cell service required. Save detailed maps, layers, and markups for offline use. With live tracking, and current location features, you'll make it out and back just like you planned. Don't risk getting turned around or lost. So if you're ready to make the jump to Onyx use the code ROCKCAST at checkout and save yourself 20 percent. The physical. As mule deer hunting has become tougher in many areas, many hunters have figured out that the beer belly and bacon cheeseburgers don't mix with hardcore buck hunting. An entire subculture of physically fit hunters has emerged in the last decade. Good for us, I say. The antis often paint us out to be bubba, 80 pounds overweight and not capable of doing anything more physical than riding an ATV. Well, I guess they could be right about some hunters, but less so now than in the recent past. Many hunters are training six days a week, running marathons, and even entering competitions geared towards hunters. Hunters, including Cameron Haynes, Aaron Snyder, and David Long take fitness for hunting to the max, and their hunting success mirrors their physical fitness. If you want to be inspired physically, follow these guys on social media. Skipping a workout will make you feel as guilty as sleeping in on opening morning. I haven't mentioned it yet, but I've made my primary living as a personal trainer for over 23 years. Physical fitness ranks high in my life and in the field. I currently manage a large staff of personal trainers serving thousands of clients per year. To my knowledge, we operate the largest training program in Idaho. The club I work at has 1,500 to 2,000 member visits a day. Based on this experience and what I see going on in the hunting and industry, I'd like to offer my thoughts on where fitness fits in for the big mule deer hunter. Mind you, this subject would take an entire book to cover properly, so I'm just giving you some general direction here, not a program. First, I'm no fitness icon myself. Of course, I maintain year-round fitness and keep a decent body weight, rarely fluctuating more than about 7 pounds a year. I can lift my body weight in all the major lifts like squats and bench press and pull-ups and maintain a VO2 max of around 15 to 16 mats. However, compared with the really athletic hunters I know, I'm kind of a pud. These guys can run ultra marathons, carry 110 pound packs and maintain less than 10% body fat year round. If I tried to outcline them, I'd be eating dust as I watch their Vibrams uh, fade into the distance. Luckily, you don't have to be ultra fit to succeed at big buck hunting. In fact, if you're only fit and nothing else, you won't kill many big mule deer because you'll hike right past them. Training Specificity In the training world, there is what is called the Principle of Specificity. The principle of training states that training should be relevant and appropriate to the sport for which the individual is training. In the training world, the principle of specificity is like the law of gravity. It's true whether you believe it or not. However, I notice that many hunters don't apply the principle correctly. Big buck hunting in rough terrain is mostly an anaerobic sport, meaning short bursts of high intensity exercise, climbing, with short rest. The gentler the terrain, the more you rely on aerobic conditioning, which allows you to produce less effort but over much longer duration. I think most mule deer hunting is a mix of aerobic and anaerobic fitness. You don't want to be only aerobically fit, or only anaerobically fit, but rather a balance of the two, to hunt well in typical mule deer country. Running especially marathon running is purely an aerobic sport, save maybe the last few minutes if the runner is sprinting for the finish line. On the same note, lifting weights to produce muscle hypertrophy, an increase in the number or size of muscle fibers, and strength, an increase in muscle fiber efficiency, is an anaerobic exercise. Think about it. How often are you actually running while deer hunting? Likewise, having really big biceps doesn't mean you'll be able to backpack 100 pounds of deer meat without tearing up your knees or back. Applying the principle of specificity, I advocate a training program that mimics what hunters do, incorporating a balance of aerobic, cardio based exercise and anaerobic resistance based exercises. The program needs to be periodized, which means broken down into cycles that manipulate training type, volume, intensity, and other variables so you reach your peak conditioning at the same time your event is scheduled hunting season in our case. The property design program goes way beyond the no pain, no gain mantra that dominates most gyms and which I would argue produces way too many injuries. It is a smart way to train that will maximize performance with the least time and effort required and lower your rate of injury to almost nil. I'm surrounded by 18-16 to year old guys in great shape and way too many of them are injured from improper training, often too intense without enough recovery. I've known some of these guys for 25 years and have seen firsthand that while bad training might make you look good, you'll be old before your time. I've been training since I was 16 I've never had a significant injury resulting from exercise. Again, I'm not a fitness superstar, but I'm not tore up from the floor up either. I'd luck to hunt deer until I'm 80. My grandpa made it till he was 75. But if my joints are thrashed and my axial skeleton, the spine, pelvis, the foundation of the body isn't functioning properly, I'll be done before I'm 60. Again, this subject would take another book to cover completely, so I advise spending some money and time with trainers with plenty of experience training athletes. If you can find a trainer certified by the National Strength and Conditioning Association who has more than 5,000 client hours, hire that guy and listen close as far as my own program once per week i do the modified olympic style lifts like squats power cleans push presses and snatches along with chest shoulder presses and back rows in the 6 to 12 repetition range two days of the week i do super circuit training 45 seconds of weights in the 12 to 15 rep range 15 second break 45 seconds cardio at 70 90 percent max heart rate i do pure cardio exercises Run various cardio machines in the 70 to 90 percent of max heart range, three to five days per week. I also do sprints twice weekly. I do Pilates based core training to protect my back. I include flexibility training on most days because my program is periodized. The type, volume, and intensity of these exercises vary. For example, as I get closer to hunting season, my intensity increases but my volume drops. Nutrition for hunting and life. Just as important as your physical routine is your diet. With 70 to 80 percent of Americans overweight, and looking around, hunters aren't faring a lot better, it's safe to say that what most people are doing isn't working. Also, heart disease and cancer are the leading causes of death in America, but can largely be reduced by proper diets rich in minimally processed foods. I'm completely jaded against the fad diets that get so much press, like paleo, Atkins, keto, and the dozens of other spinoffs you can find on bookshelves any given year. Why? Two reasons. One, because I witness at work daily how many people fail in the long run on those programs, and two, because for most people, these meat and vegetable diets aren't sustainable for more than a few months, leading to high dropout rates. Most of the hype you read on the internet is from the honeymooners. They've been on the diets less than a year or the really hardcores who think everyone can just man up and eat like they do. Few people chime in on forums after they've gained all the weight back, so the average reader is left thinking everyone is doing great on these programs. If you can handle eating the way these diets coach for the rest of your life, go for it. A few people can handle it, and I'd never argue against their success. However, the average hunter is trying to swing a mortgage, take care of a family, and hold down at least one job along with all the typical life stressors. His family, not some professional sport team, owns his body. The hectic lifestyle makes it very hard for a person to stick to a strict diet plan. This guy needs to know how to choose from a wide variety of foods if he's going to succeed. Just last week, I bought a friend lunch, a guy who's been on one of these strict meat diets for a few months. It took five minutes just to figure out which restaurant we could eat at and five more for him to pick the croutons out of the salad we both ordered because he can't eat grains. The chances of him sticking with this program for more than a few months are dismal, no matter how much weight he loses in the short term. I advocate good old calorie counting in a food journal or online applications like MyFitnessPal. Despite what the naysayers say, a calorie is still pretty much a calorie. A few small hair-splitting differences might exist, but a calorie is a calorie. People who dispute this are left with eating a relatively small number of foods and have very little variety in their menus, leading to high dropout rates. By learning about how much you're really eating, if you're overweight it's way more than you think, then learning to make better choices from a wide variety of food, not just a list of 20 foods like the diets throw at you, only then can you be successful in the long run. In the game of weight loss and weight maintenance, it does no good to lose 25 pounds and then gain it back. The tortoise wins the race. The hare makes the headlines with the 50-pound loss, but is soon gaining it back along with the shame and poor self-attitude the failure brings with it. Soon he's back to the junk because that is all he understands after wasting six months, something virtually nobody can do long-term. Choose a diet that is primarily made up of whole, minimally processed foods from lean proteins, including dairy, whole grains, notice I said whole, fruits and vegetables, mostly healthy fats, and about 0.5 to 0.75 ounces of water per pound of body weight per day. Limit unhealthy choices, foods high in sugar and fat, to 10% or less of your daily calories. None of this is earth-shattering or exciting and and is why it doesn't sell many books, but it works in the long run. Like the exercise, this too could take another book to cover properly. In the end, you have to be fit enough to hunt without getting too sore or fatigued or plain old hurt during your hunt. You you need to simply apply year-round discipline to staying in a routine that works for you. Don't be the guy who starts working out 30 days before the hunt going full bore than quitting once the hunt is over. It's better to work out three times per week year round than try to make it all up a few weeks before the hunt. If you can stay in decent shape year round and then train five to six days per week starting 90 days before the season, you'll do way better on the mountain and get the most out of your hunt and you'll minimize injuries. Year round fitness feels great and you'll likely live a lot longer, which means way more big bucks on the game pole.